If you're like Butler, then you're a major nerd for everything Star Trek. Look, I like Star Trek, but I couldn't tell you the difference between a Betazoid and a Kelpian. Well, you should know what a Kelpian is, Field, since it's a race of aliens who inhabit the planet Kaminar, and it also happens to be the race of Commander Saru of the Starship Discovery. See? Major nerd. It's no secret that I love Star Trek, which means I can't get enough of Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. And now you can get the chance to see Star Trek perfectly free as CBS All Access has made all six episodes of Star Trek Short Treks available to stream for a limited time. Star Trek Short Treks are standalone short stories that allow fans to dive deeper into the key themes and characters that fit into Star Trek Discovery and the expanding Star Trek universe. And honestly, they're pretty good. And our word is good enough, right? No? Well, how about Star Trek Short Treks has been nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Short Form Comedy or Drama Series? Oh. Now you're interested? So why not head over to CBS All Access to start your free trial today and check out Star Trek Short Treks, but make sure you go through the link on our podcast page, Forgotten Cinema, at ForgottenEntertainment.com. Otherwise, what's the point of this ad? Am I right? Support us. Live long and prosper. I told you we weren't doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Oh, stop your slow clap. <laughs> why, are you, why are you from Texas now? Because uh, I got to choose my stop. <laughs> How's that for high energy? That's false advertising. <laughs> no. Oh, come on. Does every actor that portrays the cop in the movie have to wear a fedora? You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Mike Field is dead inside. <laughs> I'm actually trying to figure out who Brooklyn Decker's married to. Nice. What? She doesn't like, say it like she that. She does say it like that. She doesn't say it's it like stupid. that. Cowards. Cowards is what they're called, Mike. They're called cowards. <laughs> and begin. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. What's up? Nothing. Chilling. I think that opening might have needed an adjustment. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Call the fedoras. The fedoras? What are the they Stetsons. wearing? Stetson. Call the Stetson They're boys. They're like mini fedoras. Call the mini fedora boys. <laughs> we need an adjustment. We're talking about the Adjustment Bureau. That's right. Mike, what's the Adjustment Bureau about? I don't know. Oh, oh wait. I'm so, oh, okay. That's a good, great synopsis. <laughs> I'll tell you what I don't love is the one sentence blurb that IMDb has up here. Bring it. What is it? So this is I'll, I'll give you the regular stops, but there's the affair between a politician and a contemporary dancer is affected by mysterious forces keeping the lovers apart. Affair? Yeah. It's when was this an affair? And it never was. Exactly. I don't like that. So let's read uh, the actual synopsis. <laughs> I just saw that it bothered me. So this is written by this is the first one I've seen on IMDb. This storyline synopsis is written by Universal Pictures themselves interesting. on the IMDb page, which I've not seen. Interesting. Yet. Do we control our destiny or do unseen forces manipulate us? A man glimpses the future fate has planned for him and realizes he wants something else. To get it, he must pursue across under and through the streets of modern day New York. The What? <laughs> it's not even this. Oh, my God. What's happening? 
All right, let me. May, perhaps your synopsis needs an adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> Call Anthony Mackey. Oh, uh, that's Harry. Call I can't Harry. remember his last name. He didn't have Harry's last no, name. No, he did. Harry oh, Mitchell. Did? Yeah. Do we control our destiny, or do unseen forces manipulate us? A man glimpses the future fate has planned for him and realizes he wants something else. To get it, he must pursue across, under, and through the streets of modern-day New York to get the only woman he's ever loved. On the brink of winning, on the on the brink of winning a seat. <laughs> Looks like your synopsis needs another adjustment. <laughs> on the brink of winning a seat in the U.S. Senate, ambitious politician David Norris, Matt Damon, meets beautiful contemporary ballet dancer Elise Sellas, Emily Blunt, a woman like none he's ever known. But just as he realizes he's falling for her, mysterious men conspire to keep the two apart. David learns he is up against the agents of fate itself. The men of the Adjustment Bureau, who will do everything in their considerable power to prevent David and Elise from being together. In the face of overwhelming odds, he must either let her go and accept a predetermined path or risk everything to defy fate and be with her. This synopsis has been poorly written by Universal Pictures and adjusted <laughs> by Mike Buck. Uh, adjusted badly. <laughs> I, I'm oh. catching this the first time I'm reading. I'm catching the things as they go and I have to adjust. So the Adjustment Bureau came out on March 4th, 2011. At the runtime of 106 minutes, rated PG-13, production budget of $50 million, opening weekend it did $21 million, domestic $62, and worldwide $127 million. Produced by Media Rights Capital, Gambit Pictures, and Electric Shepherd Productions, distributed by Universal Pictures, as you may already know because Mike just read their synopsis. Yeah. But I will say that one of the notes I read it was that Media Rights Capital funded the film, and they auctioned it to Universal, who paid $62 million for the movie. And then I was like looking to see like, okay, wait a minute. Why is there domestic 62 universal paid 62 million? But I really couldn't find anything beyond that. So just take that as it is. So they saw, so media rights capital sinks $50 million into it. They made the they movie $12 million basically yes. when they sell it. Yeah. Universal picks it up, has to make 62 million back. Plus, plus marketing. marketing, which is probably about 20, maybe. No, they made a profit, but just not a huge worldwide amount. profit. Yeah. 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 Uh, I guess I'd be interested to see. And I know we always go in like box office mojo for this, like a chart that shows like I know they don't announce their marketing, but I'd really be interested to see like how much in the green they are, or how like in the red they are in terms of like overall for the movies. Right. When I there's another site and it's blonde blanking on the name right now that I was looking I was on box office mojo and I was looking for, excuse me, I was on IMD pro and I was looking at the numbers and then I clicked to this other site and they were, they were showing, they were showing the breakdown and I was trying to look for this auctioned amount. I couldn't find it. But then I started going through like their, they had a video sales amount. Okay. So they oh, were showing cool. Blu-ray sales. It was cool, but that was it. And then I was like, wait a minute. I'm wondering how much Scoob made. Because Scoob came out VOD mm-hmm. on May 15th. And I so I started, looked up Scoob on IMD Pro, nothing. I looked it on that other site, nothing. If I wanted streaming, whatever they got in streaming or DVD, no, it's not on DVD, whatever they got VOD or VOD. anything like that, I had to send them an email to ask to ask for it. So I was just, okay. But I am, I'm curious to know what their take is well field in the future episodes of forgotten cinema that's how we're gonna have to do it because <laughs> everything's going streaming i know we'll, our, our release Hot take theaters are, are dead <laughs> our release date will be a little different i know interesting okay so anyways march 4th 2011 that same week you had a movie we're doing in a couple weeks rango 
Oh, really? Yeah, same day. <laughs> awesome. Interesting. Uh, Take Me Home Tonight, Beastly, which is like Beauty and the Beast, I think, right? Oh, I remember. Yeah, yep. Bad. And then you had, you had a limited release, Happy Thank You More Please, which is Josh Radner's movie. And then the day after, which was the Saturday, you had Kevin Smith's Red State, which is a Saturday release. I don't get that. I still want to see Red State, but yeah. I, never, I haven't watched it. I haven't heard great things, so I kind of stayed away. I didn't hear anything. Yeah, I heard, I heard it was there. It was all right. But I think I didn't watch it because Tusk came out like right before, right after. And I heard that was there. And yeah, everybody talked about Tusk. And I'm like, I know some people like, really eh. like it. And maybe those are people that are into horror, but I, I heard, eh. Yeah. Uh, the week before February 25th, you had Hall Pass, which when I think about that movie, that's, that's so ridiculous, that movie. Do you remember I, Hall I, Pass? I didn't see it. I uh, know what it's about, and I, yeah. I remember the trailers, but I never yeah. saw it. And you had Drive Angry. The week after the 11th, so the week after this movie came out, Adjustment Bureau, you had Battle Los Angeles. No. Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> Red Riding Hood. And then you had Unlimited Releases, Kill the Irishman, and Jane Eyre. So. Not a lot of, I mean, Rango is more of a kids movie. It's a kids movie, obviously. So I really wouldn't think that would go up against Adjustment Bureau. No. And I know Take Me Home Tonight didn't really do well. I don't, but it's actually not a bad movie. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. I think. Unless, I don't know if you, you've ever seen it. I haven't seen it. You've, you've talked. It's on the list. You've talked that. Yeah. I yeah, know you put yeah, it on the list. It's on the list. I know you like it. Directed, written and directed by George Nolfi or Nolfi. I apologize if I said that wrong. Yeah, George. It's based on a short story written by Philip K. Dick called The Adjustment Team or Just Adjustment Team. Nolfi, or again, Nolfi uh, directed The Banker, uh, which is the show that's on Apple Plus. Okay. That's the one that's also got Anthony Mackie. Anthony right? Mackie's in that as well. Yeah. Birth of a Dragon. He did. He wrote. He was one of the writers on these movies, Timeline, Ocean's 12, The Bourne Ultimatum, and he wrote The Sentinel or adapted it or whatever. Cinematography by John Toll. He has won two Oscars, one for Braveheart and one for Legends of the Fall. He's also more recently worked at Harriet. Uh, he's going to be working on The Matrix 4, and he did Almost Famous, amongst other big movies. Compo uh, Matrix 4 is actually already back to filming. It's the first film that started filming again. I thought Avatar was. Avatar 2, because they flew out to New Zealand like weeks did ago. They start? I heard that they were going to, but then I didn't hear they started. No, I thought they were they out did? there. Okay. I don't know. So I know Keanu Reeves has been shot, uh, spotted. They're actually just shooting it. Good. I'm ready. To see it in 2028, whenever it's coming out. <laughs> Thomas On Newman. VOD. What's up? On VOD. VOD, I know. Thomas Newman is a composer. He's done. He, Thomas Newman has been nominated for 15 Academy Awards and has never won. Can we, can we give him can we give him an Oscar, please? We already you already vouched we for did. him. I already did this Michelle once. Black. <laughs> I already did that once. But the other movies that he's done, 1917, Spectre, Skyfall. Those are for Mike. Wally. One of his first movies was Revenge of the Nerds, and then he's done Real <laughs> Genius, so I had to put that in there. Edited by Jay Rabinowitz. He has worked on more recently Irresistible. He's also done Requiem for a Dream, 8 Mile, and the action movie Salt. And produced by Bill Carraro, Michael Hackett, Chris Moore, and Nolfi, again, or Nolfi, again, I apologize. Uh, Chris Moore, you might know him from Project Greenlight, the TV show. He's also, he's a big time producer. He's produced Manchester by the Sea and all the American Pie movies. There's four of them, right? There's four of them because there's American Wedding and then there's American Reunion. American Reunion, American Pie 1, 2. And American Wedding. American Pie 1 and 2, American yeah, Wedding. Yeah, there's no American three, Wedding. right? No, yeah. Wedding's three. Then Yeah, there's four. Yeah. Um, I think there's talk of a fifth. Whatever. Well, then no one's doing anything. So, yeah, sure. Well, why not? Re I, thought, I thought Reunion was good. Yeah, yeah, well, Reunion had everyone back. Wedding didn't have a lot of people right. back. Yeah. Oh, did it have everyone back? Wedding? Didn't Reunion not have one of the uh, women? Or maybe she came at the end. 
thought Reed maybe had everybody. Okay, I don't remember. But maybe I'm, I was, might be wrong. That was, that's while. over 10 years ago. I'm pretty sure. I think. Michael Hackett, who's one of the producers, <laughs> as, as, Butler, as Butler contemplates his mortality. Michael Hackett has produced Paycheck. Carrara has produced uh, recently Blade Runner 2049, the TV show Escape at Denimore, or the TV series, and Frequency, which we both love. Yes. And that's not a TV show. That's a movie. Um, Mike told you that Matt Damon's in this movie. He plays David Norris. He won an Oscar for writing for Goodwill Hunting. Uh, he's also in The Martian, The Departed, and the Ocean series. I'm sure you've all seen those. Emily Blunt as Elise Sellas, or just Elise in the movie. Uh, she's in Edge of Tomorrow, Devil Wears Prada, A Quiet Place, and A Quiet Place Part Two. Whenever that decides to come out, Anthony Mackie as Harry Mitchell. He is Captain. He's in Captain America. He plays Falcon. And he's going to be in the new what is it called? Falcon. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, okay. He's also in the Hurt Locker, and he was in the second season of Altered Carbon, which Mike and I are fans of. Mm -hmm. John Slattery plays Richardson. You probably know John Slattery on the TV show Mad Men. He played Roger Sterling. He's also in Spotlight, which is an awesome film, and he's in one of my favorite scenes in Charlie Wilson. Charlie's Wilson's War. Charlie Wilson's War, excuse me. You know what scene I'm talking about? I told you before, I've seen Charlie's Wilson's War, Char and I remember nothing about the movie. Shame on you. Terrence Stamp as Thompson. He's uh, General Zod, obviously, in Superman 2. I know he's in Superman, the first one, but I'm not counting that. He was <laughs> nominated for an Oscar in Billy Budd. That's a 1962 movie. He's also in The Limey. And he ventures a Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And then rounding it out, you got Michael Kelly as Charlie Trainer. I know Michael Kelly from House of Cards, the TV show. He's also in the second season of Jack Ryan. He's in Man of Steel and Chronicle as well. So there are, that's it. Those are like kind of the mains. Yeah, that's it. You have some, I know that Daniel Day Kim was in this movie and they cut him out. He played a guy named Henderson who was kind of giving Richardson a hard time, which is Slattery's character, but then they just cut him out. So he's not in there. He's not the guy that's with him. No, it's a different guy. It's a different guy. Yeah. I know right. who you're talking about. Um, but yeah, so I remember when I first saw this movie, I remember liking this movie. Mm -hmm. This movie is very heady. So there's a lot of heady topics in this in terms of fate versus choice, predestination versus free will, yep. that kind of stuff that it, 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 Dives into that a little bit. Some would say that it plays it safe. I think that's one of the criticisms that it had that, you know, you, you, you go to the precipice of that kind of theological discussion of free will versus predestination, but you don't kind of go too far in. Yeah. I, I would say I would have the same. Right. You, you, you have I the would same critique. That. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Although I, I really like this movie. I think I don't, I can't remember who put this on the list, but I, I know I chose it for this yeah. episode. But I, I really like the movie regardless, but I do think it kind of, who's the chairman? Oh, you, you know who the chairman is. Yeah. Like, just say it or don't say it or have a discussion about there's it. There's a couple. There's Come a, on. There's a couple instances where they get vague. Like when he says to when Harry, Anthony Mackie's character tells um, David that they can't track us or something about water. Well, what is it? What exactly is it about water? Well, you, I get that you say that, but what is it exactly? now? I should tell you that I read Adjustment Team, which I told you before, mm -hmm. and that is not in there at all. That that idea, that whole thing with water is not in there at all. So the story of Adjustment Team, the short, there's nothing in that short that's in this, with the exception of in the movie, he's got to get on that. He's got to miss work, right? Mm -hmm. They want him to be late. Yeah. Because they're doing an adjustment, but in the in the short story, it's they got to make sure he's on time because he needs to be in the sector because they're adjusting the entire sector. And then what ends up happening is he's late, and this is in the short story, and he's not adjusted. Everyone else is, so he's out of adjustment. 
and he's got to come to terms with that. Like he enters while they're making the adjustments. The adjustments. Yeah. While they're making the adjustments, which is actually pretty cool. He enters the, the sector, the, the world's divided into sectors. And when he enters the sectors, everything is gray and ashy. And when he touches stuff, it falls apart and it's like sand and he, and he's Ooh. just, nobody's, ex- hey. and then he, 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 these guys in white suits are in there doing stuff. And then he runs out and he gets into a, it, they call it, they de-energize the sector. That's when they're doing their adjustments. And then when he busts out of it, he goes into an energized part of the, and he goes into the world. So the, the sky is blue and, and everyone's walking around. So he escaped that de-energized zone. Interesting. Right. It's like, so it's like an alternate, it's like the opposite of Matt Damon's. Correct. He, was not supposed to be adjusted. Correct. Because he had the right idea about the solar and everybody else needed to be adjusted. Right, right. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think you could have done a lot more if this movie had been more successful. There's a whole lot you could have done with this concept. Right, right. I, the This movie, as it is, wouldn't be, I don't think we would like it as, as much as we do or, or we responded to it as much as we did. If we didn't like the chemistry between the two leads. Oh, absolutely. Because it makes the movie. Because if they don't have instant chemistry like they do when they are in that bathroom, then the movie falls flat because the movie is contingent upon their chemistry. And to their credit, it's very good. Yeah. You have to believe because they don't. It's that, I don't know, 10 minute meeting in the bathroom, 10 minutes on the bus, and then three years later. Right. And then 11 months later. So they meet very sporadically. So yeah. you have to believe instantly every time they get together that they're meant to be together. They have this, this absolute chemistry mm-hmm. that can't be broken apart or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah, they, they do it flawlessly. Yeah. Like immediately you're smitten with them as soon as they talk to each other. Well, Matt Damon's is acting stellar, whether just, he just, he can do it well is he's somebody who can play an every man or he can, he's somebody that when he's on screen, he's extremely relatable. And he's, yes. he's charming and he's funny, but like, that's how he is. You can, and even when you see him not performing, like just, an interview, yeah, stuff, stuff like that. that, he's like that. He's kind of, I don't want to say self-depreciating, but he's very like, he'll talk and, you know, you look at his mannerisms in terms of how he acts. Like when I watch actors and stuff like that, he does a lot of stuff where he'll like put his head down or when he's laughing at his own joke, he puts his head down. Like he knows he shouldn't be laughing at his own joke, right, right. which is like a lack of, like he's still got confidence, but it's a, a lack of like super confidence. Right. And I think that's the relatable part to, to question your actions as you're acting. And okay. Kind of question your own choices. Sure. That makes you a little more uncomfortable maybe, but not like super like awkward. Right. And I think that's what helps the relatability with Matt Damon is, is stuff like that. And he's got twitchiness and he moves his arms and his, his coffee cup. And he, he doesn't just stand still like a statue. He's, he's moving in his scenes, whether it's like small, like where the small movements with his hands or his body language that makes it more relatable. Do you think that's on purpose? Oh, absolutely. Do you think he's working like he's thinking, okay, I should do this. And well, he doesn't do that when he's born. Okay. That's true. But he does that in any other movie he's in where he's supposed to be the Everman. He does that in this film. What's the one where he's the politician or the one where he's the fracking. You're talking about, uh, John Krasinski's in it. I don't know. Yeah, whatever he does it. He does it in a lot of his, in a lot of his films where he's playing a regular person. But do you think that that's him making an acting choice or that's just him allowing himself to be more like himself? Because a lot of times, as you know, when you're performing, you have to put your a little bit of yourself in those roles. You have in order to find to you and believable. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like I would like, think that's more, who I am. Right. There's more targeted, focused acting in a born movie to like he's being somebody else or being what I would be like if I was a trained assassin rather than in this. Right. He's like, this is me if I was running for office. 
Exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. All right, then. Here's a question I have for you, because in this movie, because he is a uh, he's running for Senate, he's a congressman, mm-hmm. right? And he's running for Senate because they call him congressman a couple of times. So he's somebody who's looking, well, he became a congressman. Right. And then yeah. and then he was running for the Senate. Seat. Oh, right. Yeah, I get it. Yep. Yep. So. So obviously it deals in politics and it deals in real world issues and, and situations. But do you like it in movies when they use real life news anchors that you can, that you know, and, and, and they're like, they have James Carville in there and uh, John Stewart. Right. And they use them as, I don't know, like to ground them in a reality. I, yeah, I think I do like it. It does ground you in a reality. It puts them as real people and it shows how they would react in the real world. And I think that's really cool. Right. However, the issue with that is it does date your movie. Yes. yes. So it definitely like now you're putting your movie in a specific time mm-hmm. period and watching it now that is a little distracting. Mm-hmm. Whereas watching it then and it's like Robin Williams in Man of the Year as well, where he runs for office as a joke, but he ends up on there. You have John Stewart. You have the cast of Saturday Night Live because he goes on Saturday Night Live. You have a bunch of CNN and Fox News anchors. It's like that's cool. Yeah, but it dates your. But mind. again, yeah. it, it really dates it, especially when it's like okay, so that's this person and that, and then you're watching those scenes, and that's at least someone like uh, you and uh, you and I who watch a lot of movies, watch a lot of TV. We're just like, all right, so that's that, and now so that's that year, and now okay, now I'm focused on yeah. who they're talking to and not what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I I think initially as I, I guess as I aged or matured when I was watching films, it didn't bother me so much. It doesn't really bother me now, but it does, like you say, date the movie. And then I start thinking, oh, this was in this, this was 2011 when they shot this. And especially when they do, when a movie comes out and obviously movies are shot almost a year before that they're released because of post-production and it takes time and yep. working on stuff. So somebody could like, let's say for the sake of argument, John Stewart left the show in that year and then you do the adjustment bureau john stewart's on the show immediately you're like oh he's not on that anymore i don't know when they shot this yeah. like it, it pulls you out of the movie i think it's tough i think it's a really uh, while you're using it to ground your movie into your own reality to have so everyone can find a relatable thread to there because you're kind of dealing with a movie that's i don't say supernatural but it does deal with elements that are celestial and and you know, beyond someone's comprehension almost. Yeah. And it is interesting to add the real life people when right. you're doing stuff like that. Yeah. Right. You're trying to ground it as much as you can so that people could think, well, maybe this does happen. So I get that. Um, we, you talked about the chairman before. Yep. They actually shot a scene with the chairman. Uh, cowards. Right. So, <laughs> and I'm going to butcher the name cause they always do. Uh, they shot. So the scene, the chairman or God, which was supposed to be was shot and it was played by Shorey Agadashlu, which I don't I apologize. She's in the the Expanse. She plays the she's the president she's now. Pre- okay, yeah. So they shot it, and then what ended up happening was that this day this is there's two versions that the studio didn't like it because she was raised Muslim, and the studio wasn't ready for a Muslim to portray God in a movie. So they told the director, no, you got to get, get rid of it, get rid of it. No, it's, it's out of here. So he had to do it. And she was like, you know, she, she basically was like, you know, that's the business, you know, whatever. But the director comes out and says that, you know, later on or some other day that they, they purposely, they reshot the ending because they went back and four months later and reshot the ending that they, to leave it unopened or not explained so that you could fill it in with whatever, what you want to do. Right. Now the ending works, but it's okay. 
I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded seeing, you know, their ending, the original ending. Cause you know, I'm not hung up on that. So what are you going to do? But yeah, so they did actually shoot an ending with the chairman. And, and, and I actually like what, uh, Harry tells him, like, you know, you've met him before her. It's, it's they, the chairman comes to you in many forms, which is kind of some, similar to what a lot of people say in, in, in religion. Like again, but here's the, here we are again, like skimming the top of theological discussions and religious debates, but never really going underneath so that you're not, you're just trying to like, uh, 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 uh but I don't want to talk about it. Like, it's kind of like that. You know? Cowards. Cowards is what they're called. Like, they're called cowards. <laughs> well, you want them, you want the movie to be a mainstream movie that's going to, you know, have a lot of people come out to it. You're hoping that they're coming because Damon and Blunt are running around and, and kind of quote unquote action star kind of thing, you know? Well, so you can still do that and you can still make it exciting. You're not I agree. targeting any specific religion. In fact, you're this, creating your own. I'm only telling you what the studio is probably thinking. I got you. Yeah. That's just a coward's way up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Studio control on things and the sameness of everything and this this system of what are the audiences going to like and putting it through a computer and all this crap now is just really, I think, A, silencing voices and B, it's going to completely squeeze every drop of real creativity out of films and not allow you to, like we're saying right now, have an actual discussion or have an actual idea in place for your film. Like this hurts the world building of the film. but. On the other side of that, this, you got to make money. Well, I get the studio's that. Studio's putting a, a boatload of money up. They're going to want to protect their quote unquote investment. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. And I agree. I, I pretty much agree with your sentiment, but I do understand like when you're, you know, a major studio and you put all this money into a move and you put $200 million in a movie like Tenant, you want to, you don't want to, it's tough to say we're going to VOD. You know what I mean? I, I get that. Yeah. You know, that kind of thinking granted that's dealing with, you know, the pandemic is kind of a something, a consideration no one would probably ever thought of in terms of when they're making movies and putting out, you know, they're more thinking like, what if uh, Robert Pattinson does something, you know, weird or, or does something that is going to affect the release. Like they're thinking that kind of stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Not something as world as global scale as the pandemic. So I get that, but, you know, but, but when you have like smaller movies and you see these directors that come up and make like a movie for $5 million and it's great. And immediately everyone like flips out over and they just throw offers at them because you can tell how devoid of maybe new quote unquote, new inspiring talent there is sometimes yeah. when you're using the same old people, the same old, you know, directors and writers who, you know, can deliver you a product, but it's a, it's a pretty substandard product. They can sell it, they can package it. But it's not something that's going to blow the roof of, of everyone and be like what they want. Oh, make a lot of money and win a lot of rewards. You're going to have that. that, that that's like the, the two things you want in a big movie or in any movie. Yeah. So. Did you notice that Thompson, Richards and Harry are supposed to be Tom, Dick and Harry? No. Yes. That's why they're called that. Nice. Uh, yeah. You know, I thought that was uh, interesting. So what is something that I guess, because we kind of we've kind of glossed over a lot of stuff. Is there, do you have, do you have like a real negative to this movie other than what we talked about in terms of kind of the not being, not being a power, not, not having enough balls to go deep, as you said, <laughs> they don't uh, have pun not intended. Yeah. They don't really go deep. The 
time gaps are I, I like that there's so much time going in between but i also feel like the movie could be a little longer and expanded upon in terms of something i, I don't know what i just feel True. like it's missing some stuff a you, slattery just disappears yeah they kind of he steps out and thompson steps and he in. gets that hammer yeah hammer that was a little um that was a little weird like because in the beginning, Richardson is somebody who you, you're, I guess, supposed to fear a little. But then as you get to know him, you realize that it's just it's a job. He's just, yeah, he's and, just doing and, his job. And he's, he's, got a, he's got a personality. But then he shifts. And now we're supposed to be like worried about another guy. That's a little bit weird. I get what you're saying. It's a yeah. little bit weird in, the, in, the, in, that, in that regard. And then they get the hammer, and I'm not really that afraid of the hammer either. Even the hammer tries to level with him. I lo- like- but I love his opening monologue when he comes in and he st- explains to them how we gave you enlightenment. We did this. And oh, yeah. And we and step, step back. back and he steps things. back. And then he steps back as he's doing it. Whatever happened to free will? We actually tried free will before. After taking you from hunting and gathering to the height of the Roman Empire... We step back to see how you do on your own. You gave us the Dark Ages for five centuries. Until finally we decided we should come back in. The chairman thought that maybe we just needed to do a better job with teaching you how to ride a bike before taking the training wheels off again. So we gave you the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the Scientific Revolution. For 600 years, we taught you to control your impulses with reason. Then in 1910, we stepped back again. Within 50 years, you'd brought us World War I, the Depression, fascism, the Holocaust, and capped it off by bringing the entire planet to the brink of destruction in the Cuban Missile Crisis. At that point, a decision was taken to step back in again before you did something that even we couldn't fix. You don't have free will, David. You have the appearance of free will. Number one, uh, my two thoughts ran in my head. That's a really nice monologue. And number two, how many people did that when they weren't auditioning for, for like, give, show what you got aside, give us what you got. Because I always remember The Devil's Advocate, because uh, Pacino has that monologue at the end where he's got all the, the, the statues behind statues, him are yeah. moving. And Everybody would do that monologue in their read. Like, oh, it's from Devil's Advocate. I'm like, all right, come on. <laughs> Shoot me! Anyways. Uh, but I really liked uh, Thompson's monologue. That's my point. I like Thompson. I, I like him talking to Matt Damon. I like him trying to get Matt Damon to use his, almost use his own free will to get back on track. It just, he didn't seem like the hammer to me. The only thing he did was sprain Elise's ankle. Yeah, I don't that's know. about it. Again. <laughs> Which they, is kind of out of character for him. Compared to everything else he does. Right. There's stuff that's thrown out there and you never really kind of explain the whole thing with water. We can't really do water. I kind of like the, the water thing is kind of explained in terms of everything you read about and everything you see in movies and stuff. It's water is this force that seems to protect people in all types of stories all throughout everywhere. Okay. And there was one, I can't remember. Obviously, the only movie I can think of right now is Signs. But I remember reading an article so no way, online on like Screen Rant or like IGN or Entertainment Weekly where they went through and it wasn't just modern stories. It was also stories from way back, you know, medieval times or earlier, but where water is this force hmm. that seems to defend and protect humanity. Interesting. So it's kind of like this ancient thing. So that kind of works with who the Adjustment Bureau are. Gotcha. And, okay. But in our favor because water protects us. 
Okay. My, I, I, did you know, um, you mentioned the scene when she twists her ankle. Did you, that wasn't her dancing. They had somebody, there's a professional uh, dancer and they digitally put her face on. Oh, really? For those scenes. And I didn't notice it. And after I read the note, I was going to go back and be like, can I catch it? But yeah, they, they, they did. That wasn't, not that I thought, you know, not that I'm like, oh, come on, blood, learn those moves. You know, whatever. I'm a little surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I figured it was her. Well, it did well though. But for a budget of $50 million, it's not bad. Because there's yeah. some effects in here. Mostly green screen stuff when they're running through uh, doors and stuff like that. That that works. Um, when you talk about like one of the things I really wanted to know more about, and I don't really think you can do it in this movie because it would be two and a half hours, <laughs> is I wanted to know more about the book, the tech, the idea of fate versus choice. Like the entire mechanism of the Adjustment Bureau like was interesting enough where I wanted to see more of that. Mm -hmm. whether that's more of like Harry was more of a main character. Like I, you know, that the, they kind of talk about how he knew his father and things that he had to do to his brother and all for the sake of making sure David does what he needs Becomes to do. President. Right. But there, that's also another one of my issues is you're very unclear on what David's. Why is he supposed to become the president? What right? is his, you don't know what the platform, you know, I, I, I get, don't tell us if he's a Democrat or Republican, right, right. but let us know what he's going for. Like, obviously like not something as vague as, the economy or this or that. What's his big platform? Right. And something that's, he says like JFK was his dad's inspiration. Like JFK had clear platforms on what he wanted to do. Right. Let's get some clear platforms on David. And then maybe we can at least infer upon that as to why they want him as the president. All we know is his solar initiative. He wanted to do. Yeah. In as the president. I don't know. In the short story. Not that I keep wanting to compare it. Until you keep doing it. I know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't care. In the short story, the, the guy that they they adjust, uh, they're adjusting a real estate broker, mm -hmm. a firm, because the guy that's in the that's head of the real estate office is an older man. He's going to be given an opportunity to purchase land, um, and he passes because he's too he's older. He doesn't want to do it, so they make him younger and more energetic, and makes the staff younger, so that he buys the land. Because when he buys the land, they're gonna they're gonna dig up the land. People are gonna go and they're digging it up, and they're gonna find uh, artifacts that they put in there purposely. The adjustment team has put in that put have put in there. It's going to inspire the scientists from all around the world to come to that part and, and develop friendships. And Russian scientists can develop friendship with Belgian science. Remember, this is written in the 60s or the 50s. Right. And they're going to form a friendship. And it's going to kind of like ease tensions in terms of the war and, and kind of. So it was there was a reasoning behind it. Right. There were steps to something like that would be something like, you know, David's going to have a choice and he's going to make the right choice. But we need to get him in that office. That kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. That, that just a little bit of explanation. Want to see if you rec I want to see if. Just to, I'm jumping all over the place. <laughs> I want to see if you notice this. When they're in her bedroom and he's sitting on the chair, did you notice the chair and her headboard? Okay. So if you go back, if anyone goes okay. back, he's sitting in this, like he's sitting in this chair, but the chair is sewn together with different types of patches. So the chair is not one tone. It's all different fabrics sewn together. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, I, that was definitely on purpose. Either they found it or they made it because it's a theme of the movie pieces that don't look like they fit but they do fit they form a chair they form something sturdy like a Elise chair and David, right. right and the head her headboard is also two different fabrics they kind of she i don't know whether they had something draped over there and they cut they put emily blunt in the middle of it so you couldn't see the afghan or thing or it was another thing where they cut two fabrics but her headboard's the same way so i thought that was a very interesting um element that they put into her into her uh, apartment to kind of highlight the theme. Now, maybe I'm reading into that and they just found a cool chair that was going to be thrown out, <laughs> but it, I hope it wasn't. I no, listen, was I purpose. like it. I like it. I like looking <laughs> for little themes like that. I like that. <laughs> Another thing I was really 
interested in are like what the positions were within the adjustment bureau that they never really got into. Like you kind of got what Harry's job was, but then they go to the middleman essentially. The, the, and the middleman when he tells them they're gonna bump it up. When he's gonna yes. bump it up. I can't remember that guy's name. <laughs> Doherty or something, I think. Whatever. So they go to his office, he brings them up to the records room where mm-hmm. every adjustment is kind of still recorded, so you can see the past paths. Yes. But what is his job? And then he brings it up to the hammer, who's hammer, so now he's doing his old job because the hammer got promoted. So what's the hammer's what's what's his new job? Thompson's new job is very unclear by that. That's story. what I'm saying. Like it's it's interesting enough to want to know more. Oh no, yeah. But in this, this movie, you're just kind of giving a glimpse. This stuff doesn't that doesn't detract me from still really liking the adjustment bureau, which, like I said, it still hinges. None of that stuff really matters because you really like Emily Blunt and Matt Damon's chemistry. Sure. So you could do a different kind of movie and still have them as their chemistry. And who cares what the adjustment bureau is? Yeah. You, li- you like them so much that you don't care that. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You like them so much that it's you're OK with the fact that she basically leaves her off on again, off again, boyfriend. Like in the a lurch, second time. Who, who I'm still convinced might be Eli Manning because that's what he looked like. He's a quarterback for the New York Giants, Butler. I- <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, like he's just kind of like, can you check on her? And she's gone. <laughs> What's his story? <laughs> Apparently he's a good guy. That's what she says. There's no there's no adjustment book on him. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to ruin this guy's life five times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's right. That's it looks right. like we rippled this guy's life too many times. Hey, too did many we times. attach him with somebody after her when we made these? Just, no, <laughs> no. Did uh, you notice a quote on the bar? 24 hours a oh, day. Yeah, absolutely. 24 beers in a case. Coincidence, I think not. Do you know who said that? Paul Newman. There you go. Nice. <laughs> nice. We're Paul Newman fans. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I also wondered. Harry gives him his hat. Mm-hmm. And then David goes off and you know has that running scene. Yep. But then Harry gets back without his hat. How'd that happen? Harry goes through that one door. Harry, no. He gives him the hat to go through the door, and then he runs off. Oh, I get what you're and saying. And then you find, you next time Harry. you see Harry, he's he's walking up the stairs with all the adjustment guys looking at a book. How well, to get back? He says without the hat, he can't go into, he can't do the warps, but maybe he can still do the counterclockwise and go in back back home. But again, but He says the hat's giving him power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. No. Unless he has to call somebody. Maybe he's got a uh, like cell phone. <laughs> Yo, my hat fell in a sewer drain. <laughs> it's gone, man. It's gone. Can you open a door for me? <laughs> One thing I noticed about Anthony Mackie's character of Harry, uh, maybe he was just playing it this way, but I noticed a huge lack of confidence in the way he acted in this film as opposed to like how he acts in um, Altered Carbon. And maybe even how he acted in the in the Falcon. And I know this is one of his earlier. Well, movies. the Ultra Carbon is he's supposed to be like because he says he has 300 years of who he has been. Right. I think in this one, I, I got the sense that he had more emotion than everyone else. Maybe he was a younger agent or he was letting his emotions control him a little bit more than the other agents do. I got that, too. But I also got this kind of uncertainty in his acting. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't catch that. Like no. just a little bit of like I could tell that this was an early role for him. OK. I didn't get that. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting. I've always liked him. I he's he's very well, I like Anthony Mackie. Very well, charismatic. Yeah. He's very. I mean, they're, they're, the acting in this movie is very good. And you've, you've got a lot of really strong people in this movie, which is great. Yeah, and I think that helps. That only helps the movie. I will say this: that the director, who is quoted as saying the intention of the film is to raise questions, but is but, it raising the right questions? It's just yeah. Because I mean, my questions are like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I get what he's trying to say, but it doesn't really raise those questions. Yeah. Because it just, it only goes surface deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love themes about, you know, Destiny versus Free Will and stuff like that. I, that's, when I write scripts, a lot of them have, are about that. Mm -hmm. But this movie doesn't go any further than anything else that you've ever seen before in terms of people pulling on strings and you have to, uh, that's been a story since ancient Greek fables and, you know, the gods of Olympus moving the chessboard yeah. pieces. It, it just, they don't go deep enough. And, and maybe it's, maybe it went, would have gone deeper if they had the scene with the chairman. I don't know what they talk about, but in terms of what the adjustment bureau is talking to David and Elise about, it's just like, yeah, now you have free will. Uh, we, we don't have free will. Yeah, we adjust you. You can pick your toothpaste. <laughs> you can pick this or that. Yeah. All, all that stuff has consequences too so i don't really get you don't really get deep enough to understand what they're going for i guess i think if it went deeper it would be a two and a half hour movie it's not like you're adding 10 minutes yeah so i think that's that's the decision that okay do i do i dive into this a little bit more we're going to add another half hour to this movie probably can't it's going to make the main story drag so we can't do it but it's, here's a point that they bring up, and they never fix this issue. They basically teach you that free will is wrong, that it led to the Dark Ages, that it led to World War One and Two and the Cuban Missile Crisis. So now you're giving at the end, you give David free will like it's a good thing. The appearance when you of free just will, yeah. showed us that free will is a terrible thing. Yeah. You're muddling your message then. But remember, these agents are not Thompson, Richardson, Harry. They're not spouting what the chairman thinks they have their own opinions and thoughts and feelings and that's thompson thinking that and saying the way you know what i mean so that's after and he's i think you get the impression that thompson has been around since the daughter man does that does that get you get that impression i do because harry kind of says that you know they live a very long time but you get the impression that okay so you do age and you know die like yeah else. so harry's young Slattery's older, and then Thompson's even. Well, older. you're supposed to assume that these people are angels. They don't ever say that, but I, that's what he asks him. He goes, oh, "That's yeah. the." He even says, "You know, that's the closest thing." I guess. Yeah. Yes, or something. But like, like, the, like, but again, they don't even they don't want to say it. But but I'm okay with them not saying it because what they're basically saying is, you know, religion is wrong. Like you get some things right, and there's some things that all religions have, but then, then you don't have everything. Religion right. is a man made man made thing. This it's, is not we're we're yeah. above that. It's a version of yeah what we are right it's which, how you can wrap your head around what which i'm okay with that's all oh, my i like that mm -hmm. that's one of the notes i have that i like that that it's a version of a religion mm -hmm. but it's a version of a lot of religions and I, I i enjoy that a lot yeah well i mean not not to go down that road but agreed <laughs> <laughs> um but it allows you to be more unique and original than just expounding upon again something else that's been written mm -hmm. you can go down different holes and, and stuff like that did you also watch this on HBO Max or no, HBO? I watched it on HBO Go until they take it away from me. <laughs> so when I was watching it, when they got to the scene on Liberty Island. Okay. And they're doing the close-ups on David and Elise. Mm -hmm. I noticed a lot of fragmentation uh, on their faces. I did not notice that. And it was that. not, you did not notice that? No. Okay. Maybe it might have been whatever your feed was. It, might or, have, it only yeah. happened during those close-ups and then it cleared up again. No, it was before, so I didn't know if it no, was how they uh, formatted or not. I didn't notice that. I what I what I do notice, and I well, I mean, like everyone, when when the adjustment bureau is in control, that the camera movements are smooth. They're on dollies. Uh, everything is kind of exact a little bit. 
and when the humans were in control or when you know you're focusing on the humans running it's handheld the hand movements are shaky i did notice that mm-hmm. like they do a lot they do a lot which i appreciate I, I i always appreciate when they use the the camera becomes part of the storytelling technique because a lot of times people just assume the camera is just push let's go record let's move on i like when they use the camera to tell the story as well so i did notice that the and, scenes are also brighter yes when the gray yeah they have free will and it's always cloudy and gray when the adjustment well, when it's raining and stuff like the, the whole the whole thing with the rain mm-hmm. yeah because he's trying to get a fight against that which you know which i guess makes sense it works twofold it, it it goes along with the idea of what we just said that the adjustment bureau is trying to adjust and and you know take control but it also goes against the fact that they can't really figure out where he is because of the water right you know yeah so it's almost like are you to infer that the chairman is helping david to see what he does kind you know in that in regard way, yeah in that regard so maybe cuz you can even say that cuz they talk about how David and Elise keep running into each other and they didn't real Richardson said it. They they're supposed to be together in like several different iterations yeah, like of, four or five. Yeah. Right. So of course they're going to always bump into each other because that was their fate or whatever, but they're trying to adjust that. So it's funny. They're adjusting. They're adjusting this guy's timeline, but they're fighting against themselves because they've already made adjustments, you know? So yeah. And you want to get the idea that the chairman knows all of this and is just kind of seeing how it plays out or is allowing them to make adjustments. Well, even Harry says, you know, even they don't know the adjustment bureau doesn't know the chairman's actual plans. Right. So the chairman's so, almost adjusting the adjustment. Bureau. Well, Harry says like, we're all, it's all a test. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think he probably, you, the idea is that you want more agents like Harry who feel for them and want, and don't want to disassociate themselves. Not, Think of the world as black and white and think of the world as I just need to make sure they get to this point. This time, not thinking why they're doing it, which is another great uh, kind of like side angle to take with this storyline. Oh, yeah. And I think now that we talk about it more and kind of makes me like, I want more. Like, I want another. (laughs) I think if they did another, see if they did a sequel and you could just say you could just have a different characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But like. Make it more about the bureau than it is about the store, the people that the humans that they're trying to adjust. Yeah, you can have like a Harry character, or even Harry back, and have Harry working on other cases because mm-hmm. obviously they cover multiple cases. Or have a new agent who used to be human and wants to adjust the lives of the people that he was with. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. Yeah. But then you add another layer to now human becomes the humans become the adjustment. Well, the angels, where do the angels come from? It's not like they're making them out of clay. You don't, the you don't know how the well. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just fashioning out a new agent. <laughs> hey, chairman! Oh, I messed that one up. Well, forget that now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got to start all over again. <laughs> the one thing I really don't like about this movie that has nothing to do with the story Ooh. or anything is when David quotes Rocky at his political speech. Oh, see now, hold on. I had <laughs> I had the same note, but I had Batman Begins. Because that's that that's what he that's the father what tells uh when what he falls in the get? well. Why do we get why do we fall down? Fall so we, we get back up again. Yeah. So it's the same idea. But they're completely quoting Rocky. When you get hit, it's not about how hard you hit, it's about how hard you get hit and yeah. get back up against the exact same quote. And it's just like it this is Rocky Balboa. This already came out. Yeah, but he kind of goes against it and says that that was tested and 
You know what I mean? Like that was but no one in the, this is a world where John Stewart exists. I know Rocky exists. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in the audience going, that's Rocky. <laughs> this is why you lost the election. <laughs> and like, I can't believe he lost the election because of a picture of him mooning somebody in uh, college. Like, and that was a month before the election. And that cost him the election. Yeah. You get all this Sickle. hippie, you get all this hippie Bill Clinton stuff before he got elected. All this, uh, Obama smoking pot stuff before well, he did George Bush and his drunkenness and everything. Well, they talk about how the famous story about how he got elected as a congressman and that night he got into a bar brawl. Yeah. And like everyone's like, oh, he's the bad boy, bad boy senator. It's like, well, why wouldn't mooning go along with that storyline? Why wouldn't that just be roll right in that? Well, you know what he likes to do. He's one of you guys. He would love exactly. That. Yeah. He would have won the election. Yeah. He definitely would have won Brooklyn. And I, <laughs> and, I, and, I and I can understand why maybe because you can't really go. That's almost like the safest thing to do without tarnishing him. Like you can't have something where like a sexual assault case or he's doing a load of blow. Right. Or like um, he, you know, he's a deadbeat dad or whatever. You have to do something that's could cost him the election, but it's safe enough for him to run and still people love him. You know, like that kind of thing. So I I guess I get that. But he would have won if he come on. Yeah. Horse, Horse hockey. This is one of 52 ties. That uh, this is that's red tie or a blue tie. Yeah, that stuff was good. I but, need, I need, I need fifty-two people to pick up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was an exaggeration. <laughs> as soon as he popped up on screen, one of the very first things I thought of was Michael Kelly can just he he can't not be a political advisor. <laughs> well, I, I like that's just his look. Well, I, you're in the White House. This Michael. is 2011, so he was he had. I mean, he's been around. He's been he's done a bunch of movies, but he yeah. really came to people really knew him with from House of Cards, from House of Cards because he's really good as Douglas Stamper in House of Cards. That's probably why I feel like he got this pigeonholed now. No, because uh, did you watch season two of Jack Ryan? See, he runs the embassy. He's a good guy, though. Like, that's the thing. He's not a bad guy. No, in but this. he's not an analyst. He's not like in that. He's somebody who he actually, you know, boots on the ground. He goes in there and he's, you know, shooting and firing yeah, and all works, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually and he had a little bit more like he's he's just a political analyst in this. And in, in the Jack Ryan episode, uh, season two, he's more of a charismatic character and, and somebody relatable. You know, yeah. he's, you know, he's married to the attache. To the the country they're in, mm-hmm. here he was twice. They married. He talks about that. So I liked him and Jack Ryan. I thought he showed. Some, yeah, he was able to show stuff. Another side of him. Yeah, yes. I mean, I do like stuff. Michael Kelly. He still <laughs> he still has good a good personality. He's he's a good actor, and you know he's friendly. He's not he's not a bad political advisor. He's not. You know, even yeah. though he's got like the 52P, he's just doing what his job is to do. And so I'm sorry, but if he makes a living doing roles in uh, that take place in movies or TV shows that are political in nature, but he's working for the next 20 years. He ain't complaining. I ain't complaining. You complain? that there you I, go. I'll take that job. I'm just saying, I, I noticed that. I got you. That's, well, like, that's, that's like, I always notice that James Martin is always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I just notice these things about some characters, like some actors always come back as the same. That's because that's how people know them. That's, that's why you see, sometimes you'll see actors go off and do like an indie. That's completely like eh, all the comedy actors do that. Like Will Ferrell going off and do streaming. No, you got to do the try to do to... show that they can do stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with that. No, I hear you. It's, it's a game. It's all a game. It's all a, it's all just like, what have you done for me lately? You know, I saw you in this, I guess you can do this kind of role. I saw you in this thriller that you really pulled off. Like I always remember when Harry Connick Jr. did copycat 
and he was a serial killer and it was just what is this and it was <laughs> and it was clearly just hey listen he can do these type of roles um, i get that i understand that it's a job it's a career it's what you do you do a bunch of like robert pattison you start with like a kid's movie you do a bunch of serious movies and as batman <laughs> oh yeah if they ever finish you, that you build up your career to become a superhero later on. <laughs> and then you last long enough to become the villain. Oh, wait, that's from Dark Knight. Right. Dark uh, that would be awesome. Casting like a, like if, like, I know they want to get Michael Keaton back as Batman, but cast Michael Keaton as the Joker. Oh, no way. I, I, no way. I'm not saying they would do that, but I think that would be cool. Why don't you just, why can't you just have a universe where you have he, older Batman, hands the reins over, obviously, because that ends up happening, right? In the comics, he hands, hands it over to the Robin or something, right? Well, Robin gets it whenever Batman dies in the comics. Right, okay, so then just times. do that. But what you're talking about is Batman Beyond also, where like he's still Batman. alive and he hands it off. I like Batman Beyond. They'll do eventually. But then make Batman the evil. Make him go crazy and he becomes a villain. So it's, it's new Batman against old Batman. In Flashpoint, that's the storyline. That's oh, what that Michael one? Keaton would, if they're faced with the comics, he would be Bruce Wayne's father in an alternate version where Bruce Wayne was killed in the alleyway. Thomas and Martha survive. Martha becomes the Joker because she loses her mind. Jeez. Thomas becomes Batman, but he becomes a vigilant murdering Batman. Interesting. Um, mm. But I think it, I like the idea of maybe you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. You know, Henry Cavill, when he's, you know, 75, plays Lex Luthor or something like that. Being able to play both oh, sides of the coin. You just, I think just it's in interesting. A different, in a different movie. Right. I think it would just be interesting. I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess. Well, back to the adjustment. <laughs> what's, your, what's one of your favorite scenes in the movie? I really like Thompson's monologue. I, I I just I think that's really well done. I like the when they meet in the in the bathroom. I think that's funny and engaging. Um, those are the two that jump out. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I like, but those are the two that jump out. Thompson's monologue, I really like. I really like Terrence Stamp, just his opening. For some reason, I I do really like the bus scene between the two of them. Sure, yeah, but. For some reason, my favorite scene is when they've rescheduled her performance, uh, her practice to not be at the pier, but to be back at Cedar Lake. And David doesn't know where Cedar Lake is. Oh, when he goes into the and bar? He's trying all the phones and stuff. He had the adjustment bureau guy who's next to Slattery goes, oh, no, that's not. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he goes into the restaurant and goes, hey, guys, I got an emergency. And he talks to all the people because, like, they didn't expect him to do that. Yeah. And someone goes, oh, I know where it is. Yeah. I just I always love that. Who is this guy? Uh, excuse me, uh, everyone. Uh, sorry to disturb your lunch. Uh, it's an emergency. Has anyone here ever seen a performance at the Cedar Lake Ballet Company? The Cedar Lake Ballet Company? Yeah, I have. Uh, okay, where is it? Son of a bitch. To that point, when Harry's telling him, they're talking about, okay, let's... Uh, Let's figure out what we're going to do here. And he's like, well, what if I just punch him? That's good. Improvisation. We're not good with that. But then you never use it again. It's just like completely. Okay, fine. And he's like, I'm going for the blue door. Of course you are. It's like, I don't get this. He already talks. He talks about the blue door earlier. Yeah, I know. I know. I get that. Yeah. But like they set up this whole plan. And he says, I'm just going to go for the blue door. And that's and then they said, I'm talking about, again, introducing topics and then forgetting them. Um, improvisation. He never really does any kind of improvisation when he gets when he's when he starts running. Not anything before, right? When he starts actually going after her. Well, no, he does improv because he goes. He's going to the chairman. That wasn't his original oh, plan. You're right. You're he right. He was you're resigned right. to just. I'll be with you until I melt my brain. Okay. And then he goes, "Screw it! I'm taking this all the way up." Yeah. And that's improvisation. Okay. And then I think every time he hits a bureau agent, yeah, 
They're not seeing I that coming. That. <laughs> I like the you fact. You gotta stop. <laughs> I like the fact too that when he's on the street and people are saying, hey, Congress, like he's recognizable and people are talking. Oh, yeah. Putting that in there. I think that's good. That just shows you that he's not, they're not oblivious to the world around them. Yeah. I do like that as yeah. well. So why do you, why do we have this on the list? How about that? Why is it forgotten? It's not an action movie. It's not a shoot 'em up. Like you said, it's heady. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's exciting, but I think it's tough to get people to want to watch it when you describe the movie to them. I think that it doesn't. And then on the flip side of it, people that really only like heady movies, it's too popcorn. It walks the line between being a heady movie and an exciting movie, mm -hmm. which is great for me. And I think that's amazing. But I think the common audience wants popcorn. Or they're coming into those Monday morning shows to watch, you know, the Oscar noms mm -hmm. in terms of stuff that's got this kind of a topic. And this is neither. On right? March, on March 4th release, I don't think the studio's new. I mean, let's just put it here and see what happens. I wouldn't know where to put this. Uh, that's probably where I'd have put it. Yeah, this isn't, it's not strong enough to maybe garner kind of award attention. So you're going to keep it out of the end of the year. Uh, you're, and it's not a summer movie. So you're probably, where you're putting it is probably the beginning of, quote unquote the beginning of the spring season. Yeah. I, I hear that. Um you're hoping that the the strength of the leads are gonna bring people to the theater with Damon and Blunt. Uh, this is before this is before Edge of Edge tomorrow. Of tomorrow. So this, this is her really yeah, one. this isn't her like her blowing up and well she did Devil's Wear Devil Wears Prada Devil Prada put on the map. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, I think Edge of Tomorrow put her into you know the stratosphere in terms of right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In terms of guys going, oh, Emily Blunt's in this. All right. Because guys, guys did not watch Devil Wear Prada. They should. It's Although funny. John Krasinski did, which is why he really had a thing for Emily Blunt. really good. It's a good movie. It's fine. <laughs> I've actually never seen it. Really? No. You would, Has Elise seen it? She now, when I say Elise, went. I'm talking not about Elise in the show, in the movie for, here. But my Elise. Your Elise. Will you own her? That's yeah, right. I think you should walk that back. <laughs> well, has she seen Devil Wears Prada? I thought, yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to mention that. One of my notes is that they spell Elise wrong in this movie. They spell it with an I, but uh, my fiance spells it with a Y. You were gonna say my Elise again, weren't you? I was. <laughs> I'd like Elise. Just so you know, I don't. I don't agree with his ties. I'm saying it's you, uh, he's, you're his. It's inappropriate. Brother, you're off forgotten cinema. Damn it! Um, but yeah, no. You should. It's a funny movie. You should yeah, watch it. I think she she went out to watch it with her friend um, one night. Her girlfriend. So. Brother, you won't like, you won't lose it. your quote unquote man card, as they say, if you watch the Devil Wears Prada. It's okay. You can watch it. I put some <laughs> romantic films on our list. I put Fool's Gold on there. I put First Night on there. First Night is not a... It's a romance. It's like a medieval It's part romance. of it, yeah, but... It's a, it's a big part of it. Fool's... Mm. 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 Which one's Fool's Rush in? Fool's Gold. Fool's off. Although I do also have Fool's Rush in on there. I put both. The Matthew Perry one? I like... You don't like that? It's all right. I can take it off the list. If no, don't take it off. The, it's like, fine. Yeah, it's fine. No, like no, 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 no. Fool's Gold is the with Fool's Gold is McConaughey, McConaughey where they're yeah. looking for the treasure with Kate Hudson. All right. So we're going to adjust this conversation back to the back to <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. So, yeah, I mean, we'll check it out if you like it. Um, Why did you think it was forgotten? I think I just said it. Did you? Yeah. I say I talked oh, just about the March release. I talked now. about that. I think uh, well, well, I agree with what you're saying. Okay. So, yeah, that's 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 I agree with that. I think it's a tough movie to. It's a tough movie to market because it's sci fi, it's science fiction. It's got theological undertones. It's not necessarily an action movie, but it has action moments. It's a romance movie, but it does not a true like or romance movie. Yep. You know, it's got those elements. 
So I think it's a it's a movie that crosses genres. And when you have movies like that, good or bad, it's really tough to market that to a mainstream audience. I mean, we're talking like when we say forgotten cinema, we're talking about movies that don't that up maybe people watched, whether they're successful or not, um, they don't bring up again. I mean, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a conversation about the adjustment bureau with anyone other than people who like movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? No one ever comes up. Yeah, I saw that Matt Damon movie. It just, you know, like that never happened. Of course, that was nine years ago, so I can't remember. But yeah, I think all your reasons and just it's a tough movie to market. But I would it's definitely a movie that I would pop in on a Saturday night if we're talking about, hey, let's watch a movie tonight. That's not a terrible movie to watch. No, not at all. Yeah. So I've seen worse, much worse. It's good. So check it out if you can. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to do this this week since you always seem to do it. You can find us online. I know, right? Oh Shock. my God. You can find us online at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. Did, did, did someone adjust you? Yes. <laughs> uh, you can also find us at ForgottenEntertainmentLLC.com. Uh, we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Well, we are the Forgotten Entertainment family. We all are, actually. Uh, we are on the socials at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Forgotten Cinema. Uh, we have a new episode every Wednesday, new commercial every Thursday, and uh, we're, all, we're all over the place. And feel free to reach out to us if you have a suggestion. Uh, if you have a comment on anything, we always comment back. We like engaging. It's fun. It's fun to do. It's, we like to make fun of each other online often. So that's always, <laughs> that's always great. Um, but yeah. And, uh, did I forget anything else? Oh, if you want to suggest something on the website, there is a contact page, but also you can reach out to us at forgotten cinema pod at gmail.com. And, uh, we just, you know, we're in the middle of season six. We did season five last, uh, maybe six, seven weeks ago. We just ended. And uh, it was all, you know, audience, audience choice. choice. And we, you know, it, it was fun, but we always still take suggestions for throughout the other seasons. So, yeah. So uh, absolutely. Let us know what you want us to talk about. If you want us to talk about anything and let us know how we're doing. And if you want me to get rid of Mike for saying that he owns his fiance, that's fine too. Listen, I'm hers. Okay. That's cute. Right, that's <laughs> if I, but I have to hear that. Okay. There you go. You heard <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then join us next week as we're going to be going to 1985 when I was 10 and Mike was not born. Yeah. And we're going to be watching and we're going to be talking about young Sherlock Holmes, which Mike has never seen. So I'm interested to see if he likes it because I like this movie. So obviously I'm the one that put it on the list. So that's next week, young Sherlock Holmes. All right, everyone. Thank you. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. This has been Forgotten Cinema. You're staring at me. I want a Stetson. <laughs> well, we can get those. We should get those for the commercial. Absolutely. And then just wear them all the time. And just have them on. That's our commercial. I look good. Yeah, I look good. <laughs> and that's it. Done. You've heard the commercial here first. I'm going to try it, man. I just bought this Stetson. I'm going to try to walk through this door. <laughs> well, it's not going to work. No, I'm going to try. I'm doing it. <laughs> Green screen in our future. <laughs>